We don't need another hero. We don't find a way home. <laughs> That's Mother Tina. Mother Tina? Thunderdome. Yeah, she. Tina uh, Turner? Yeah, Mother Tina. Thunderdome. Well, she sang that song for the, the Thunderdome movie. Mad oh. Max Thunderdome. Yeah. <gasps> we don't need another hero. She was so great. She had the legs and she had the hair. She's still alive. She was so, she is so great. <laughs> she has those legs and she has that hair. So that song has been on my mind because um, I I know this is a brevet and we don't usually do this kind of weird stuff at the beginning of a brevet, but um, I just finished season three of Stranger Things. Oh, it's so good. You finished it? Yeah, I loved it. Cindy's here. Have Hi, you Cindy. It? I don't watch Stranger Things. Oh, I loved it. Oh, cancel the brevet. Cancel. We're done. Good night. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. <laughs> no, anyway, and um, not to give any spoilers away, but, you know, the, the person that everyone's thinking about in that last episode. Yeah. We don't need another, but we needed him. Can I can I say something about season three of Stranger Things? Yeah, can, I, I thought it was extremely flawed. But go ahead. I, I mean, here it's a totally flawed show. It's ridiculous. It's, no, the but season. It, oh no! I mean, I think it, anyway. But could Hopper just like choke you and spit in your mouth? If he showered, he didn't. Oh no! 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 <laughs> I want Dirty Hopper. You want Dirty Hopper? Oh fuck yeah! Okay, well. I want him to choke me and spit in my mouth. Even though he he. he it, in the season three, he'd gone days without brushing his teeth. I don't fucking care. Oh, okay. I'm in there. That's weird. I'm weird. climbing oh. up in there. Ah. No, he does. He literally showers in the season because he comes out like wearing a towel. Okay. I watched it 78 times. The one time. I have it he saved showered. on my phone. Anyway. Anyway, we're so we're doing a breve. Today. We have a special guest with us. Her name is Cindy. Hi, Cindy. You, Hi. You guys, you guys might remember her. From the Cindy episodes part one and part two. Or from us yelling... Hey, Cindy! <laughs> and making her do stuff. And um, we'll go ahead and say her real name because we're about to talk about a project she currently has running in Salt Lake right now. Yeah. And that's the point of the Breve. Yeah. Um, the project is called A Brief Waltz in a Little Room. Yes. Yep. And <laughs> the subtitle is 23 Short Plays About Walter Iyer. Okay, I did it. Yeah, I, did, I, I did it good. Good job, good job. Um, and uh, Cindy's real name, and I know many people have already figured this out, and right. they kind of think that she's kind of an Exmo celebrity. celebrity. Yeah. It, You're a famous Exmo. It's Morag Shepard. And she is a playwright. I mean, we kind of alluded to this in this Cindy yeah, episode, yeah, that but you're a playwright, a and you're a director, and a, and a producer, and you yeah. are part of the Sackerson Theater Company that produces these really amazing... So... Shows around Salt Lake. Morag, give us like a few, may a couple or a few sentence synopsis of what A Brief Waltz in a Little Room is. A Brief Waltz in a Little Room is an immersive experience. It's kind of a pop-up immersive. It's a pop-up installation art piece that also is immersive. And there's 10 rooms and then there's also videos. So it's... It's 10, like you, the space you're using is the old fitting rooms of an old anthropology store. Yes. So there are 10 individual rooms where mm-hmm. where audience members enter and kind of interact yep. with what's going on in those yep. rooms. Yeah, and um, throughout the experience, you'll um, have either a live actor, a recording, 
a video, a sensory type experience, but basically we just like wanted to explore the life of Walter Iyer. And so as the audience member, you're kind of like cast in the role of Walter and then you experience things through his eyes. So, um, really quick, I wanted to clarify. So no one thinks that like it, you walk through this empty anthropology with naked mannequins and like no. tumbleweeds no, no. to the to the fitting room area, and then there's this pop up immersive experience. But it's this it's been turned into the Urban Arts Gallery at City, at uh, Gateway. Yeah, and it is in the back portion of the gallery. Right. Tell us what immersive is. Immersive is um, instead of just like being a passive theater goer or consumer of art you're actually immersed into the middle of the art piece. And so you will, um, you can touch the things that are happening around you mm-hmm. and um, you kind of walk through it. You are a part of it. Right. And you, you being there is just as important as the stuff being there. So sometimes immersive might mean, you know, there are some parts where you, like you said, you are Walter Iyer and your people are having conversations with you. You're not responding necessarily, but they are talking to you. Or sometimes immersive means that, you know, there's a room full of telephones and you're picking up the telephones or there's a room where you're in the closet and you're kind of exploring this closet and like looking through these Walter and his wife's like personal belongings. And so it's about your... Uh, you're kind of interacting with these actors, but you're also interacting with these spaces and sometimes ways where you don't really know what's, what you should be doing or what you, so you're kind of figuring that out as you go along. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is part of what's so interesting about it. And when, when we say, uh, when Morag says 10 rooms, there are only 10 audience members and one person at a time goes in the room. There's like a chime yeah. and everyone has an assigned room. Everyone's given a card and the order of the rooms that you're supposed to do. And you, it's just one person in the room at a time having a very short, it, like we said, it's, it's, it's a short play. That's, and that is part of what I loved so much about it was Part of me was just geeking out a little bit over the kind of logistics of how you create that experience where, you know, all the scenes are the same length and you can end all the rooms at the same time. But part of it was like, I mean, obviously I've only seen the show once, so I only know the order that I experienced it in, but the order that I experienced it in felt like the correct order to experience it in. <laughs> wow. Even though I know that every, all the, all other nine people that were there with me that night were experiencing it in a totally different order. Absolutely. But there, there is something really powerful about, you know, when you walk in that first room, you have no idea what to inspect, expect. And yeah. some people are walking into that first room and immediately in like a really intense interaction with an actor and some people are walking into an empty, well, not an empty, but a, a, but a personless room where they're interacting with a recording or like you said, with objects or whatever. And, and to me that first, the first room that I walked in was like powerful and stressful and painful. And I was like, well, fuck. So let's, we're in for it tonight. Let's get into, um, I want to get into like, (laughs) what the fuck it's all about. Like who's Walter Iyer and all of that and why it was powerful and painful. Um, why someone that we all know, um, I, I, I'm, I think it was Chris Kendrick, C Jane's husband who said, I felt everything. Yeah. Um, but first I want to let the listeners know the part of the reason we're talking about this is because we want you to go see it. Yes. 
Um, so stick with us and listen to um, us tell you why we want you to go see it. Well, I, let uh, me say Walter that. Who Walter Iyer is. I would, can I interrupt for one second? Sure. I would say if you are in the Salt Lake area and if this is something you can go see, I would not listen to this episode yet. Because I kind of feel like the more you go into this experience, like the, the, the fewer expectations you have or understanding you have, the better for me. I, I don't think... I. I I don't think in this breve we're really going to break down the entire play, okay. but just talk about why it okay. was written. Okay, perfect. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. But really quick, for those people in the Salt Lake area or who live north or south of Salt Lake and aren't too far away, um, 23 plays sounds like a lot, but the whole thing's done in about an hour and a half, right? It's like 80 minutes. Yeah. 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 You're play, in, they're three minutes long. Yeah, you're in each room for three minutes. Um, and it's the most innovative piece of theater I've ever experienced. I can't stop thinking about it. I know. Okay. Let's take a break and then let's talk about who Walter Iyer is. I'm going to just put a quick plug. If you are interested in going to see it, go to sackerson.org, which is S-A-C-K-E-R-S-O-N.org. That's the name of Morag's Theater Company. And that's where you can find out about showtimes and tickets and um, figure out when you can go. But but like we said, there are literally 10 audience members for each performance. So, so it, they sell out the shows quickly. sell out quickly. So if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, this sounds cool, go get tickets right now. And also, if maybe... Uh, I, we can talk about this more after the break, but um, right now there's a tentative ending... But as long, but but you said Morag, as long as you keep selling tickets, you'll keep running it. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, let's take a okay. little break, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes <laughs> of Walter Iyer. We're back. <laughs> We're back, and let's just uh, um, let Cindy tell us about um, Walter Iyer. Okay. Take it away. Oh, Morag. Cindy Morag. Take it away, Morag. Cindy Morag. Okay, so one of the reasons, well, we were thinking about, Dave, one of my um, producing partners, found the space. And when we found the space, we started thinking about, okay, what can we put in this space? And at the time, there was that billboard on the freeway talking about conversion therapy. I don't even remember that. There really was? Yes, there was like um, a billboard on there that was like saying that conversion therapy kills or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then also all of the stuff, the stuff, all the stuff was going on about like the church retracting the the thing about. Gay couples and their children. Oh, the policy yeah. reversal mm-hmm. that was never actually so that reversed. Was kind of like all of that stuff was at the forefront of my thinking, and we talked a lot about it. As also, Twain. Governor Herbert yeah. failed the entire LGBT community this last legislative session because everyone thought it was kind of a slam dunk that he would help, um, like ban conversion, therapy. ban conversion therapy at least for minors. But instead, he was like, but what about the therapists? Yeah. And what about the moms? Right. Yeah. Fuck yeah. the therapists and right. the moms. Right. So, yeah. Anyway. So, we were talking a lot about conversion therapy um, as we were driving back and forth to Provo doing our play, Let the Right One In. Oh, yeah. So, those kind of themes were at the forefront of my mind. And then I just, because of the space and the way and the, and the rooms that we had, I just thought, why not? deal with something to do with conversion therapy. I haven't seen anything mm-hmm. that deals with it. Yeah. And I certainly haven't seen um 
I haven't seen anything that deals with conversion therapy and it had been, I don't think that I'd seen anything apart from Fun Home with uh, mixed orientation marriages. Oh, yeah. One I of our know. favorite topics here days at Hot Days and days and days. Telephone wire. Oh. <laughs> and so um, we decided, me and Dave and Alex decided that we were going to brainstorm a story to do with mixed orientation marriage and conversion therapy. And that's kind of like the premise of where we started from. We're like, we want to tell this story. How best can we tell it? And so we decided that like the best way to tell that story is not to do like a linear recounting of that story because that's something that people know. Yeah. It's almost boring. It's almost boring. And so I wanted to like think of a way that you could really get inside of the shoes of the person that was going through it and could really empathize with it. How to do that in an immersive way, how to do that, make it nonlinear, how to do that, show broken shards of this person's life. Right. And you literally did that by making each of the 10 audience members Walter Iyer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so um, there is, there's a trigger warning on the show that there is a couple of rooms that deal specifically with conversion therapy. So you're kind of like placed in a room where they do conversion therapy at you. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then there's also parts of the show that's just like about love and like about smell and about, mm-hmm. you know, like tender moments, about moments with his daughter and then things that don't necessarily tie into that trajectory of conversion therapy. That's more just, you know, like expressions. That's one of the things that I love the most about the show is I really went into it prepared. Like I kind of knew the premise and obviously like, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a gay man who was in a mixed orientation marriage. (laughs) So I kind of went in the, into the show prepared to be like emotionally just destroyed. I just thought, well, here we go. Like this is just going to rip me to pieces and chew the pieces up and spit them out. Mm -hmm. And there were definitely moments that were like really uncomfortable and really made me squirm. But, but like really there were so many moments where I was just smiling and I was really delighted and I really, I really loved being in Walter's shoes, you know? And so for me, that was what was so surprising about it was that, and I think like, that's kind of like what life is. There are moments that are terrible and that are horrifying and there are moments that are delightful and there are moments that are, that feel precious and they're, you know, and so it was all of those emotions in this like 80 minute span of like, I was laughing and I was, and I was feeling scared and I was feeling uncomfortable and I was, you know, like feeling like tender and just all these different things and that, and so I just walked out feeling, I don't know, feeling really good because I just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like such a snapshot of, of a life. Um, to follow on what you're saying, um, sorry, I, I, I'll preface that my response to this, and I think maybe after a, a, another few minutes we'll talk about our individual responses, yeah, yeah, yeah. but mine was completely unexpected and knocked me on my ass. Yeah. Um, But, um, there are, for me, the most unexpected moments were two or three moments where there are people in Walter's life. That noise is Josh's cat getting into a paper bag. (laughs) We... I'm going to let you hold this while I go uh, amend this situation. Amend it. Um... Who 
in a roundabout, beating around the bush, non-direct way, allowing him some authenticity. Um, And I loved how that changed the narrative of every single person in your life being like, no, you can't be that. No, you can't be that. No, you can't be, which is gay, right? Um, I also appreciated the duality. Again, to go on to what, to, to follow what you were saying, that there were, the, the duality of his world was there were wonderful parts that he would grasp onto and experience when he was being his authentic self, but then also met with the religiosity and the conversion therapy aspect. Um, and then kind of everything in between. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, back to Morag. So tell us, Morag, about why you decided to change the narrative in the way that you definitely in two or three parts, and I don't want to get into those details because I want the, audi- the audience or potential listen- or listeners who will potentially go and see it to experience it as a surprise, but the two or three moments where he's almost supported in being authentic mm-hmm. in a really roundabout way, but it's coming, it, it, the language is roundabout, but the love is really pure. Mm-hmm. Tell us why you chose that instead of the, the usual story. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that it was actually when I thought about the, when we thought about the idea of this story, I actually interviewed Sister Twaint. And so I got a lot of my fodder from her direct experience. And I wrote about that. And I tried to like use like what you had said and put those into the monologues in different places in the thing. But one thing that I, that we were like really concerned with is making sure that we weren't telling a story that was just like filled with pain. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to pimp out the pain was the phrase that we used. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. We didn't want to put that on some merch. We didn't want to just be like getting attention for the story. That's not our story by making it really sad and like spilling out his guts all across the floor. We wanted to find and specifically searched for the moments of happiness and joy in his life uh-huh. and like tweeze those out as opposed to being like, this is the really horrible dark moment and like focusing on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not like, I don't think that the overall experience is like you said, Josh, I don't think it was all there was, we tried to like really balance like the happy moments with the, like the more difficult moments. Yeah. And I think because of the, the structure of it, like we were really able to do that, that we wouldn't have been able to do in a normal play where you're sitting in the audience and just seeing like, exactly where you're sitting in the audience and there's that invisible fourth wall. And, you know, I might talk a little bit, um, in in, um, elementary terms for people who aren't theater people, but the invisible fourth wall is that that whatever that divides you between, um, divides you, Help me with the... It's the, the, it's the wall between the audience and the performers. And the world of, of, yeah, the, play. of the play. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where there is no fourth wall in this. And that is kind of why... I hope it's okay that I say this, because if not, we'll edit it out. Your husband doesn't want to go see it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I... So I... I mean, again, no surprise to anyone. I am 
super uncomfortable with like interacting with people and like talking to people and whatever. And so I was really nervous about going to see this play because I knew there would be moments where like actors would be like talking right at my face. And I just thought like that, that makes me, and, and there definitely were moments watching it where I felt uncomfortable. Like I felt like I wanted to respond or that I should respond or whatever. But I think actually your performers do a really good job of like, making you feel like you're part of the conversation that they're having, but never making you feel like that they're waiting for you to answer right. or respond. To they're anything. totally in control. Yeah. Totally in control of the, the mood, the energy, the atmosphere of the room. And but you feel like you're, you feel connected to the yeah. story that they're telling. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, you're never asked to like, you're never expected to like answer their questions right, right, or right, anything. Right. You're literally watching them do a monologue as if you were, as if Walter was there standing in the space that you're uh, taking up. But there were times that they said things that made me laugh and then <laughs> they would respond to my laughter. Oh, I love You know, that. especially in the scene where you're with Walter's wife. Like she said some things that I genuinely like <laughs> chuckled at and she would be like, oh, you. Like she would, you know, she responded to sort of my laughter. So I felt very connected to it, but I never felt like I needed to, I never felt like I needed to like, that I, I never felt like I had to come up with a line. Like, what, what should I say next? Right, I, and, and that just makes me want to give a shout-out to every single actor involved in this project. Oh, I can't even imagine. To be able to not only be in control of the world and interact with the audience member that's in the room with them, but also to be so in control that you can kind of improv on those moments depending on how the audience member is, is responding to you. Well, and not even to, not like also the fact that these actors do the same because they just stay in one room in each act of the play. Yeah. So these actors do the same monologue 10 times in a row as each audience member comes in and to make to do something 10 times in a row and make it feel genuine and authentic and real and connected and all of those things, mm-hmm. you know, multiple times a night must be really challenging. Um, uh, uh, Morag, uh, well, let's take a quick break. And then I want to talk about specifically why pimping out the pain was a smart choice artistically but also why it was an incredible choice in telling the story of the um closeted spouse in a mixed orientation marriage cool beans you guys were back um so uh there's so much I want to talk about, but I know I, this is really hard to recap in a 30 minute brevet. brevet, even though it's like an 80 minute play. Yeah. <laughs> so you think you could cover it all, but, but like I could talk about it for hours. But what I wanted to say was I appreciated that the pain wasn't pimped out and that we got to see the duality of his experience, not just our tip for, for the sake of, of, of the art of the piece of the style of the piece, of the flow, of the mood of the piece, but also to show that his life 
was such a, it was a swinging pendulum between moments of, of joy and fun and lightheartedness and passion sometimes. And then, and then just kind of in the middle of like, what the fuck and questions. And, and then uh, the other side of the pendulum, just complete worthlessness. Yeah. Um, so I appreciated to see both so that we could see, oh, why are we not even choose? Why are why is it even a question to not choose to live authentically? Yeah. When we saw you showed the joy, the fun, the passion in those good moments when he was being his authentic gay old self. It reminds me. So, in the current presidential election, <laughs> there's a candidate named Pete Buttigieg who's who's gay and who's married, but who came out later in life and. And in the most recent debate, he said, I finally got tired of not knowing what it would ever feel like to fall in love, which I thought was so like lovely and so meaningful. And he, and I think he came out, I think he was probably, I don't know, 30 in his thirties when he came out, you know, and just because he was like a mayor in this conservative state and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the governor was Mike Pence, who's, as we all know, Mm -hmm. like evil um, and hates, hates homos. And so he just had like stayed in the closet all these years. And then I love that idea of thinking like, I finally, I, I, I didn't want to live my whole life and never knew what it would feel like to fall in love. And I, and like, that's what I loved about like being in Walter's story is like, again, you see those painful moments and you see like the damage that the choices Walter made caused to his, his relationship and his daughter and you know, whatever. But you also see these moments where you see Walter like falling in love or being silly or, uh, or having sex or and it was whatever. So well done. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. So there's one scene where um, there's a lover in the play and you are in a room where you hear the lover talking to him right before they have sex for the first time. And my biggest goal in writing that scene is to make it silly and fun and lighthearted. Like two adults are really just like exploring their bodies and having fun right. as opposed to it being this, like you're cheating tortured. on your wife, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. tortured. You're like, you're going to go to hell for doing this thing. And I didn't want that because it would be, cause th- that was the easy choice. And I, in fact, I think that was in my first draft. And then I was like, there's something wrong about this. This isn't mine to tell. And Walter, like, crouching in the corner crying because he was ruining his marriage. And and as a writer, it's so easy to go to that place. Sure. It's so easy. Um, You know, you, like, thrive in those dark, dark moments. And I challenge myself because, you know, there's, like, I swear you said this to me before, Sister Twain, like, there's nothing more adult than being in a sexual situation. It's adult, and uh-huh. you can and you can explore the whole gamut of what that means. Right. It doesn't have to be like you're ripping your hair and gnashing your teeth. Right. It's like it can be fun and silly. And yeah. so I tried to tap into into that. And that's then... what I loved about that scene, though. Without giving too many specific details away, like it, like I could feel the sort of like uncomfortableness of what that feels like to be with someone for the first time, where you're like nervous and like you're not sure how it's going to go and like who should take the lead. And like, you could feel that sort of like awkward tension, but you could also feel that sense of like, of sort of just like, this is someone that you're really into and like, you're really excited about this. And like, it was really, yeah, it felt, it felt very intimate in that way that it was, that it was that all of those feelings of like excitement and nerves and, and fear and, and, and passion and, and, you know, whatever kind of all wrapped up in one. And my, and I've talked about this before, like all of my sexual situations before I got married and like, even still like with masturbating or whatever, like they're all like shrouded in this, 
cloak of like guilt. Right. And Y'all I'm, remember Cindy making out <laughs> naked, praying for forgiveness and crying, and then, the and then getting turned her on. and then getting turned on by the praying and then doing it again. But I'm just like, what if that isn't the situation here? Right. Like, like what, what if, if that, sex could just be what fun if it's and just cute. like what it, what would it look like to write a monologue that had no conflict? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of like my angle for that. And then, um, you know, with the, with the wife in the closet, I really tried to tap into Sister Twain's ability to just take the lighthearted, take, take the, the, the heaviness out of the situation, out of situations. Like, great. And, like, what if we look at this, you know, like, with your relationship with Gary? <laughs> Gary, my gay ex-husband. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I love that because the wife never comes across as like a villain in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, she comes across as like someone who... It would who, be so easy to do that. Yeah. But, but she comes across as someone who really loves and cares about Walter and who who fell into the situation with him because of the, the lives that they grew up in. Yeah. But, but ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, loves Walter and wants him to be happy and wants herself to be happy. Let's... I think it's okay to maybe give this detail. Let's talk specifically, just really quick... What she's, what is she saying to him in the in the closet? She's in the closet, like helping him get dressed, doing his tie and stuff like that. What is the conversation about? Well, Walter is riddled with guilt, and he is having a hard time with depression because he's a closeted gay man. Yeah, and sounds just, familiar. And she is just like, well, what if we tried? What if you tried doing the marijuana thing? Yeah, I tried it, and it was fine. And I don't think that God would be against it. And I really, I, I mean, yeah. And it's so something that you would say. I think, Sister Twain. Yeah, I, 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 this probably sprouted from, probably sprouted, sprouted. from. Would you like a cordial, <laughs> Sister Twain? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Of probably sprouted from um, uh, me telling you about how when my ex-husband Gary told me about six months before our, um, our divorce and before we even knew we were getting divorced, our divorce happened very quickly, um, that he wanted to take a break from the church. And by break, he meant, I need to stop wearing my garments. I need to stop going. I'm not going to have family prayer with you guys anymore. And I went, okay, tell me why. And he was shocked that I wasn't completely destroyed. And he said, because I've only ever gotten guilt out of it. That's all I've ever gotten out of it. And I said, that sounds horrible. And I wouldn't want anyone that I care about to go on that way. So anyway, let's take a break. Uh, well, let's, I think it's time to wrap it up. Do you want to take a break? Uh, uh, let's take a break and then wrap up. And then final thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Just a little wrap up, you guys. That's what we're going to do. Uh, Maura, what do you want to say final thoughts about this project to anyone who is thinking about maybe going to see it? That I think that overall, I mean, I don't know. I, Sister Twain, I think you say it better because you like came over after experiencing <laughs> it. I'm like really close to it. And so it's hard for me to have oh, any okay. perspective. Okay, okay. But like the part where you came over and you talked about um, Ainsley being hugged at the end. Okay. And you were so, just, yeah. So in between, 
between, sometimes in between the rooms, there is a video being projected. Um, incredible quality too. Um, yeah. with this incredible local actor who also plays, who has played Joseph Smith in Saturday's Voyeur in the last few seasons. He's hot. He's so hot. He's so hot. Um, Amazing actor. And, and Morag's daughter um, plays his, his daughter. daughter, but like, how old is Ainsley? Eight, nine? Ten. Ten? Oh, gosh. And uh, I, I, w- I was starting to lose it before this, but one of the final moments is we're watching... Uh, projection of of the video that you guys shot and of Walter and his daughter yeah and Walter is holding her with her legs wrapped around him like you know a little girl with her daddy um and and that's that I I lost it to the point I, I had already been crying which I didn't think I would I I, I thought mm, this is gonna get me a little bit but uh I lost it to the point that the other nine audience members left after the lights came back up and I stood there standing against the wall shaking because I was crying so intently because that's who suffered the most in in my marriage anyway was my children because we were living in such, um, Gary and I were living in such... um, secrecy and self-loathing and despondency and deterioration both of us um that we didn't know how to love our children and that encapsulated the whole thing we made children we made children not only should we have not gotten married gotten married you know hypothetically speaking but we made four children who we couldn't love because we really did not love ourselves at all um, is that what you were going to say to get people to come see it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, well, now I feel like anything I say is going to seem really shallow by comparison. No, but we're, we were both in a similar marriage yeah. and both had completely different reactions, I think. Well, I think for me, like, and, and maybe for me, part of it was like the random order in which the events of the play happened. Um... Because for me, it became a very powerful lesson about loving and accepting yourself. And that seems so cliche. Like, that's such a that's such a commonplace phrase to say now. Like, you've got to love yourself and blah, blah, blah. And obviously, like, I joke about it on this podcast all the time about how I hate myself. But, like, the last two rooms that I went through in the second act were the room with the TV with Mr. Rogers or whatever. Um, and I don't want to give a lot of specifics about it. And then the last room that I went into was the bathroom. And I knew what happened in the bathroom because of like other parts of the show. Yeah. And it really forced me to sort of confront like where those emotions and where those feelings of hatred come from and like why I've let those feelings of hatred like take such root inside of me instead of, instead of, doing what I can to kind of dig them out and and move them out. But not in like a, not in a, not in a negative or sort of like angry way, but really in a way of like, in a really compassionate way of just saying like, you've got to take a look at this. Like, why are you living your life this way? So I left feeling like really hopeful. Like I think I had a big smile on my face when I left and it felt like this really powerful 
like beautiful lesson. I guess I was looking at it more of where my life is now. Whereas I think you, Sister Twain, was experiencing it more of where your life was when you were in that marriage. For me, it was more a story about where my life is now five years after the marriage, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of imagining what Walter's life looked like five years after the marriage mm -hmm. and, you know, or, or whatever. And there were little glimpses of that. Like it didn't really get into it in detail, but there were moments where you heard conversations about like, oh, you're not really coming to church anymore. And, you know, and there was part of me that was Whoa. like, go Walter. Like I was so happy for him that he had made the decision to stop going to church. Um, because I knew that that was part of the process that he needed to go through. So I left it feeling very, I don't want to say hopeful, like hopeful is maybe the wrong word, but I left it feeling like kind of called out on my bullshit, but also like feeling very, feeling that, that the choices I've made were made using the best information that I had. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense to me. <laughs> so anyway... Thanks for inspiring me to write it, you guys, honestly. I really wanted to, like, I really, during the show, wanted, because, you know, there's 10 audience members, so it's not that you get to know them, but you you pass them as you're going from room to room, and I really wanted to just stop people and be like, this play was, I, I inspired this play. <laughs> this play's about me. So when I got to the play, um, CJ and her husband were there, and that was totally unexpected. She was like, did we know this was happening? And I was like, no. So she and Chris were two of the 10 audience members. And um, we're walking in. And I looked back, because she's walking behind me, and I literally said, Morag wrote this play about me and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, what? And then Dave, the co-founder of Sackerson, uh, immediately starts talking. So I didn't know what her reaction was or whatever. But um, then afterwards, when I've completely fucking lost it, and I finally walk out into the gallery she's still there and she goes but you knew what it was about and I was like I know I just it was the structure of it uh, primarily that uh triggered a completely unexpected reaction yeah completely yeah. I have not cried about my marriage for years good job Cindy <laughs> so anyway if you are if you are within five hours of the Salt Lake City area, <laughs> so that so that Cedar City to Pocatello, that's, that's St. George, that's St. George yeah. to Pocatello or something, <laughs> uh, go to sacristan.org. The play is called A Brief Waltz in a Little Room. Um, twenty three short twenty three short plays about, short Walter, plays Iyer. about Wal Walter Iyer, and it is a hundred percent a hundred percent worth your time and energy to and, go and see. And just artistically, it, whatever yeah, yeah, it yeah. was about. The most innovative, again, I'll just say a piece of theater I, I've ever experienced. Yeah, and if you don't have any connection to, like, mixed orientation marriages or whatever, like, I don't think that matters at no, all. No, 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 like, no, Like, I think just the experience of being there and Go getting to the, kind of explore this world. Go have this theatrical experience. It was amazing. Yeah. So, Cindy, good job. Thanks, guys. Love you. I mean, brilliant. Fucking So brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Like, I just kept watching. There were, there were many times that I was watching it that I thought fucking Morag wrote this. Yeah. Like, she wrote this. She fucking wrote She it. built this. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. Well done. Okay. Well done. With Dave and Alex. With Dave and Alex. Yes. But really mostly you. <laughs> anyway. No, we love Dave and Alex. And that's the end of the Breve that, again, was a little bit Not longer than a Breve. It's more like a latte. It was a latte. Sure. Anyway. Heavy on the foam. Heavy on the foam. So, uh, you can follow us on Hot 
drinks on Instagram and on Twitter. You can email us at hotdrinksforthebelly at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to our Patreon. Tonight, during while we recorded this, we are drinking Sleepy Hollows, which is a favorite fall beverage. And if you subscribe to the Patreon and pay for the level the glory of my butthole, you get access to our vlogs. <laughs> and we posted a vlog of us showing you how to make the Sleepy Hollow. And it's a treasure. It is a treasure. It's a treasure of truth. And, uh... With the theme of this brevet, I want to reiterate that Brother Coffee and I, if you want to reach out to us through hot yes. drinks, or if you know us, or, or, or connected to our personal Instagram accounts, and you think or know you're involved in a mixed orientation marriage. Or know someone who is, yeah. who might need someone to talk and, to. And you just need to chat. Let's get coffee. Or if you prefer to not meet, we can just chat on the app. On I the have Instagram. chatted to many, many, many a closeted husband. <laughs> I really have. Yeah. Like, I just think, like, I've had a lot of people re- reach out to me. Yeah. And we are happy to help you walk down this path. Absolutely. Face-to-face, just direct messaging, however you'd Whatever like. Whatever you want. Yeah. So, anyway, we love you all. Good night. Bye.